0: The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See DKNG.com/slash b for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Welcome into the QB SCO show. This is episode 44, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, here to talk with me about quarterbacks around the league, the upcoming enemy quarterbacks, some Carson Wentz talks, so on and so forth. He's QB1 in our hearts. You know him. He's Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. Follow all of his work over at Pat's
2: Pulpit for their podcast feed over there as well. Mark, brother, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mr. Kist. It's a pleasure to be back with you, as always, on this this fine Wednesday. I trust and I hope that all is well down in Florida for you and the family. And, as always... We start with a historical reference and many suggestions were sent in this week. Many of them, all of them actually insightful and appreciated, but I wanted to go in a different direction. I actually wanted to start by talking about cooking or a famous cooking personality, as it were, the one and only Julia Child. Now, many remember her as a television cooking personality and her first cookbook, Master in the Art of French Cooking opened up the world to fine French cuisine for an American audience. Hmm. That spawned her television program, The French Chef, which was both a critical and radiant success. The show ran nationally for 10 years and won many awards, Emmy awards among them, including her the very first Emmy Award for an educational program. Now, she also spawned references in popular culture. She was referenced by Robert Williams's character in Mrs. Doubtfire and obviously was the inspiration behind Julie Julia, which was first a blog and then a movie where a woman works through all of the recipes in that cookbook, Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Now, this was a project that Julia Child herself apparently detested. And Child's longtime editor was quoted as saying about the blog, quote, flinting around four-letter words when cooking isn't attractive <laughs> to me or Julia. She didn't want to endorse it. What came through on the blog was somebody who was doing it almost for the sake of a stunt, close quote. Now, before all of that, the shows, the cookbooks, the spawning popular cultural references, she was in essence a spy. When the United States entered World War II, she joined the Office of Strategic Services, America's predecessor to the CIA. She helped develop a shark repellent that would keep sharks away from American underwater explosives that were targeted in German (laughs) U-boats. She was also stationed in what is now Sri Lanka, and her responsibilities included, quote, Register and catalog and channel in a great volume of highly classified communications, close quote, for the OSS's clandestine stations in Asia. She also handled highly classified papers that dealt with the invasion of the Malay Peninsula. She was then stationed in China, where she served as the chief of the OSS registry and, having top-secret clearances, knew every incoming and outgoing message that passed through her office as her registry was serving all of the intelligent branches of the United States military. Truly a remarkable woman. And now, Michael, and now, gentle listeners, you might be wondering why I would bring up spying right now. So we should probably deal with the news of the moment, the big old elephant in the room. And so, as I ease back in my chair and I reach for my coffee, here goes. Michael, yeah, have the Chicago Bears been spying on opposing defenses, and is that why Mitchell Trubisky has looked good the past two weeks? I ask because it seems obvious.
1: It has to be. There's no. There's no other explanation, a- no. and I'm glad I'm glad you brought this up because this is something that's on the on the tip of everybody's tongue in yes. the NFL world. That's all people are talking about—the reemergence of Mitchell Trubisky. I, I mean, the guy made me change my profile pic because I made a deal with the Devil that said if he beat the Cowboys, I would I would I would retire the Trubisky mug pick. Like they have to be spy. the 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 offense that that Nagy is running and and whatnot. It it, it has to be. They've had so many struggles throughout the season. Mitchell Trubisky looks like an entirely different quarterback. Not not. Not, not really. But having a lot, of, having a lot of success that he did not have, and it, and it's giving the Bears fans hope yet again after they had given up on him that he is possibly the answer moving forward. Which, boy, I couldn't be more happier about that. Getting getting more chances to watch Mitchell Trubisky start football games.
2: I do believe that the what we've seen in the past couple of weeks has, like you said. Now made it possible for the Bears to say, you know what, we'll sign like a Mariota or or a Dalton or somebody off the veteran like scrap heap, but we're not going to really replace Mitchell Trubisky for 2020.
1: They couldn't. They couldn't really. Anyway, we've talked about That's that. That's true.
2: Yeah. I mean, they don't have cap room, even though the cap just went up, and the cap is a construct and all that stuff. They don't really have the room. They don't have a first round pick. Yeah. I mean, so if they they have two seconds, what are they going to do? They're going to draft, you know, Jake Fromm. Mm. Are they going to draft? Jordan Love might not even be there. He might go in the first round. This is such a I know we have a lot of draft quarterback stuff ahead of us. I know we have Senior Bowl and all that fun stuff. And, you know, timeline takes from Vets and all the good things that come in the offseason. This is such a strange draft quarterback class. Like if you start to really like piece it together, after Burrow, yeah. it's like a bunch of question marks, man. I mean, are you going all in on Tua? With mm. his injury history, and he might not even leave. I mean, Herb Street's out there saying he might go back to school. It's 50-50. Are you going in on Justin Herbert? Yeah. I mean, are you going in on any of these guys? Like, it's just. I'm a, not. And we thought this. This is another example of every draft cycle, man. In the summer, we're like, this is it. This is the you know the 1984 class, 1983 class, all over again, right? It's going to be fantastic, and now we are in December, right before the holidays, and we're like, these guys aren't any good. Well, what about 2021? Trevor Lawrence looks great. Give me sunshine absolutely so yeah uh, you know big big
1: spygate concern with the bears obviously nobody else and, and the only thing i'm going to say about about the patriots here because obviously we're doing this all tug and cheek and whatnot <laughs> i do <Are> we- I, <laughs> I, I, I do not understand the fans in new england and i get like the media has to cover it a certain way and so on and so forth if i'm a new england fan yeah we tape practices so what yeah we yeah yeah we tape hand signals who cares? Right, we tape everything. We tape you, right? In Your pieces. Right. Doing we, your podcast. Belichick, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you. We tampered with AB. Who cares? We right. win. Catch these rings. Right. I, like honestly, yeah, nobody likes you anyway. Right. What do you? What do you, you? What are you trying to do? Save your honor? It's not you. It's not your integrity that's on the
2: line. <laughs> and, and that's the other thing, like the personal investment that yeah. many have in all of this. And I believe you know I was talking about this recently, like. We learned a lot ago that you just have to divorce yourself of the fandom and just accept it for what it is. It's a sport. It's entertainment. Like whether Tom Brady has fallen off the cliff or not has no impact on your life. And if it does, like (laughs) take a step back. Like let's reevaluate some things, okay? Right. And this thing too, like if the Patriots are cheated, which – you know, there's a lot body of work that might suggest that they are, friends. And I'm saying this as a dirty, filthy Patriots fan. Like, just roll it, roll with it. And it's not a reflection on who you are as a person. Like, right. you know, if you leave the house, people aren't going to egg you. And if they do, you live in a weird neighborhood, man. <laughs> yeah. So, like, get over it. It's just, like, roll with it. If you're losing sleep over it, you shouldn't. be.
1: Yeah, it goes back to our theme of... Don't take your happiness from sports because sports are dumb and they're just going to make you upset all the time. Speaking of sports and speaking of happiness, man, I was going to do a whole Marcus Crassus in Parthia thing with the Eagles when it was halftime and the Eagles were down 17 to 3 to the Giants. And now you have – I just see that Malcolm Jenkins, as we're recording this, he's on 94 WIP – And he said something about Carson Wentz's performance here that I think is important. He says about his performance, he says, quote, I think it's big with a bunch of young guys. They're always going to look to the leaders. Carson specifically didn't have bad body language talking about when they were down, said he was very positive. That to me was the biggest thing. So Carson Wentz, you know, a lot of people are treating this as a signature win for Wentz, not because it's the two and 10 or two and 11 now Giants, but because the manner in which it happened. And And I have said it's not about coming in and being two score favorites over the Giants and barely squeaking by. This win, and you you can't tell the players otherwise. This win is a rallying point with the way that it happened. It might mean more. It probably means more than a ho hum 24 to seven business as usual. We beat up on the Giants type deal. This was a comeback, come from behind performance, win an OT, dominate an OT. You know, you score with the first possession. Carson Wentz on the day 33 for 50 through for 325 yards, two touchdowns. Guy at one point had one receiver that was that was like actively healthy on the field. So things were falling apart around him. You know, five of his starters are Lane Johnson goes down. We know his record, the, the the split with his record with and without Lane Johnson, which could be a problem moving forward. And, and Doug called it the best game of his career. I don't think that's true. I think it was one of his better ones. I think it's a signature win, and I think it's an important comeback win for the mentality of this football team moving forward. What about you, Mark?
2: It wasn't the best game of his career, but it might be the most important game of his career. And mm. I think it's important right now. To consider what we usually do during the Carson Wentz segment, which is go through some X's and O's stuff and pull up plays and break them down. Yeah. I think this is a game where you take that stuff and you just put it aside mm. because this was a quarterback rising to the moment. And we talk often about you know manipulating defenders with your eyes and working through progressions and quarterback mechanics and drop of the arm angle. But it often glosses over the most important part about playing this position, which is you are a leader of men. Yeah. Okay? And you have to walk into the huddle and you have to see all 10 sets of eyes looking back at you with a signature belief that you are going to emerge victorious, whether it's on a given down, a given drive, a given game. And this game could have gotten away from the Philadelphia Eagles. You're down 17-3 at halftime in a must-win game against a divisional foe who's starting, by the way, the quarterback whose Hall of Fame legacy might be teetering on the balance because he's 116 and 116. Yeah, you, Things could have gone south. Conditions, injuries, all of that, they could have packed it in the second half, but they didn't. Part of the reason why, perhaps a huge reason why, given Jenkins' comments just now on WIP, is the leadership they saw in their quarterback. And we've heard rumblings that Locker Room doesn't believe him. He's not a rah-rah guy. That doesn't matter. There are more ways to be a leader than just getting people's faces and firing them up. There's a meme going around in Chiefs Twitter right now where you know, there was that footage of their, that during that Chiefs-Patriots game where Mahomes is giving this huge speech to the team in the second half and he's getting everybody riled up. They went three and out, three and out, three and out on their next couple of possessions. Like <laughs> – Being the rah-rah cheerleader type guy isn't always the way to get it done. Sometimes it's standing in the pocket in a driving rainstorm where nobody wants to be outside and pulling your team back when you've got me playing right tackle, when you've got me playing receiver, when you've got a bunch of guys that probably shouldn't be on an NFL field helping you win a must-win divisional game. And let's not forget that part. Yeah. You can say they're 2-10. You can say they're not going anywhere. You can say they're going to fire Pat Sherman, whatever you want to say about the Giants. This is a divisional foe. This is a rivalry game. Yeah. Those games are always hard. It doesn't matter what the records are. So I think this was not his best game, but perhaps his most important game.
1: Chris Long cracked me up. I always go through Chris Long's uh, Twitter feed during the game because he uh, tends to put some nuggets out there that are really useful, especially when it comes to the Eagles or the Patriots or whoever he's watching on a given day. And uh, he said, this dude is out here in the rainstorm from the notebook, wearing gloves, throwing at dudes with shadow pictures on the team website just to catch S on the timeline. Like That's kind of what it was. And if Wentz kind of struggled and some reason this game went south, you could have plenty of reasons and excuses of, Of why it didn't get done, but Wentz was able to play in a manner, do his job to allow the others to do their job. I hesitate to say elevate his team because I hate that phrase and I can't have it both ways. At the same time, his play was awesome, especially in the second half. And Mark, we'll kind of get into some X and O talk here because we kind of covered the main themes of of what that win means for the Eagles were covered on the and Solak show film review as well. Something I had asked you before the show was the difference between the game plan in the first half and the second half. And my thoughts were as I was preparing for the film review show with Solak was the first half, it seemed like they really wanted to try and stretch vertical despite the limitations that they had in their personnel and which got worse throughout the game. But then in the second half, I think you saw a shift, and you probably, probably, if you split time to throw up into two different halves, you probably get very two different the time to throw pictures, and the results when he threw under two point five seconds, for example, were a heck of a lot better. I felt there was a better mix of both vertical shots. Mixed with the more condensed quick game stuff in the second half than in the first half, and it really allowed the offense to thrive. How sustainable that is with all the quick game stuff, I'm not sure, but if they can do a decent job like they did in this game in the second half of mixing in some vertical stuff, I feel like they can be successful with this formula moving forward.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because I know some Giants players were asked about halftime adjustments in the wake of this game, and a lot of them said, We don't want to touch that. And the way the question was usually phrased was, It seemed like one coach made halftime adjustments. And another didn't. Mm. And the fact Giants players didn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole tells you what's going on in their locker room. (laughs) But I think if you're Doug Peterson going into this game like the week before crafting your game plan, you're thinking we can throw vertically on these guys. Like even if we're banned up at the wide receiver spots, this is a bad secondary. We can push the ball downfield. We can pick them on a little bit. And so your game script going in is going to have a lot of shot plays like we saw. And whether it was lapses in protection, because we certainly saw that, whether it was the weather conditions, because again, we certainly saw that, whether it was a lack of execution, whether it was the injuries that mounted during the first half, whatever the reason, they couldn't execute that stuff. So in the first half, you saw some nine routes, you saw some sale concepts, you saw some other vertical concepts downfield trying to push the ball. That's what they thought they could do going in. They couldn't do it. So they got away from it a bit. They realized that because of the whatever the factors were at play, we can't do what we wanted to do. So we have to make adjustments and get back to what we have been doing at times, which is the more West Coast quick game stuff. And you and I were talking before we recorded. I thought that third and five at the 602 mark in the third quarter was huge. You know, that was a big conversion at the time, but that's when they went orbit across the formation, went notices pre snap that they switch it. Because the corner that's initially trailing stops, the linebacker starts, the other defender starts to pick it up. Yeah. He sees that. He knows that guy isn't going to get there in time. So he comes right to it. It's a smart design because again, it gives the quarterback information pre-snap. Wentz does a great job at recognizing that pre-snap. So the pre-snap read and processing speed is great. The post-snap processing speed is on point. They get that huge conversion that they needed at that spot of the game. I thought that was sort of emblematic of what they tried to do in the second half. It was more lateral. It was more horizontal passing game where some shot plays worked in. You saw some seam routes in late in the fourth quarter, some seam routes to the tight ends in overtime. But I think that play was sort of indicative of what they had to adapt to on the fly. And this was, a, I mean, this is a
1: very similar concept for the Eagles. And they actually kind of add something here. This is a messed wheel, you know, variation. But it's not like the running back set to the right. They set him on a wheel like they always do. They give him that orbit motion. And what's interesting, the guy who gets caught up on this play that has to run with Scott after the coverage switch. And the Giants have had massive issues with miscommunications in their secondary. This is the, the rookie, Julian Love, who is a quarterback converted to safety making his second start so they kind of attack him with scott there and and it pays dividends for him so a good variation of a design that they use a lot which is something that they need to do they need to build on these staple concepts that we see so much of because they are getting stale teams are keying on these things so good variation there Uh, anything else you wanted to touch on from the exynos standpoint mark uh, while we're still on uh here
2: No, I mean, I think the other thing that sort of stood out to me watching this game was Wentz and his ability in scramble drill situations. He was forced into a lot of them, not by design, but because of protection problems. And his ability, even when they were struggling early, to find receivers downfield, to find receivers that get vertical, whether it's Ertz sort of leaking out or other guys leaking out and finding some space. It's still one of his best traits as a quarterback. It gets us back into that double-edged sword of Carson Wentz where he exposes himself to hits and things like that, but – he does it at such a high level, but I, I think it is a very important trait and it's emble- it's indicative of the importance of the ability to do that as a QB.
1: I thought he'd made much better decisions on when to scramble and when to bail in this game that he has in the past, because yeah. we look at the three different sacks that happened. Two of them happened in the first half when they were trying to get vertical. They were third and long. So I understand he's got to wait for these things to come open. Right. They weren't open, you know, and then in the, even in the, in the second half, Vitae just got blown by. They were running quick yeah. game. Vitae got blown by bad. But yeah. the ones where Wentz did decide to scramble, I felt like it was the right time to get out of the pocket and extend the play. And that's where kind of Wentz's decision-making on when to scramble before has hurt him, especially when ball security, you know, you're running and you kind of separate the ball from your body or you separate the ball from that second hand. I thought this was much better overall from a mental perspective from Wentz when it came to the pocket management and when to get out of it. Yeah.
2: And, and I'm not an offensive line expert. I'm not a protection expert. I Look, I that's not my bag but the sack at 11:36 of the first quarter mm. that i don't understand the protections keep maybe somebody <laughs> out there is smarter than me but when you've got like a five man slide and a running back chipping all to the right and you leave that other defensive end just completely unblocked. Uh, yeah, I think somebody missed their assignment. Yep. Because I've never seen that, and I've watched more football than I should probably admit. Again, <laughs> our marriages are fine. Yep. But I've never seen that, Michael. What happened there? I have, I have no
1: idea because it's weird. Because Kelsey slides to the right. You've got sure. two guys on, on the uh, on the left side of the line coming. Siamalu looks like he slided like. Do you guys not recognize? There's two guys down on the line. Like, even if even if 47 comes, even if Ogletree comes, you've got the slide there and you've got the back that can chip. Yeah. So, what what is the left side of the Eagles' offensive line I
2: have doing? Absolutely <laughs> no idea. It's not like he came from the slot. It's <laughs> not like it's a corner blitz. It's hand the, in the dirt. left end. He's just <laughs> lined up hand in the dirt. You couldn't count him. You can't count to two.
1: And Wentz has to bail. By the when he bails, like they're sending four vertical here. Yeah. Nobody is looking for the ball whatsoever. So, again, no. like the sacks he took were way out of his control. The sacks are a quarterback stat a lot of the time. I thought all these the three sacks definitely yeah. were not on Wentz. Like I said, overall, I I, I appreciated the performance from Wentz. Better pocket management. No one went to bail and so on and so forth. All right, Mark. That's going to do it for our chat on Carson Wentz. If you want more X and O breakdowns, down, break you have to listen to the Kiss and So Phil soul-like Show Film Review Show. When we come back, we are going to preview the upcoming enemy opponent for the Philadelphia Eagles. His name is Dwayne Haskins. That's coming up next here on the QBisco Show. We are back here on the QB Sco Show episode 44, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist here with Mark Schofield. Mark, this is the segment of the show as we do every week. The whole reason we put up the show other than the to talk history, but whatever. We are going to preview the upcoming enemy opponent, rookie quarterback Dwayne Haskins coming off one of his one of his better games I felt from what we've seen from before from him which is which has been not great. Should we check the timeline to make sure that he's not injured? He's been sacked a lot. Should we check the timeline to make sure that he's not injured? We
2: probably should. I mean, (laughs) we don't want to have to re-record a cold open on – Case Keenum unless we absolutely have to, nor do we want to go down the road. I believe if you search the archives, to the mm. QB Sco Show episode one, the first quarterback we talked about, I believe, was Colt McCoy <laughs> or at least one of the earlier quarterbacks yeah. we talked about. Oh we, yeah. had, we had shows last year of Josh Johnson and <laughs> Colt McCoy. It's a wonder we have anybody that stuck around for season two of the QB Scow Show.
1: Oh, man, I'm telling you. so I'm going to scroll the timeline make sure he's not hurt, but Mark, wh- what do you think that Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins is
2: as a quarterback right now i think he's learning and i think he's developing and i think if you're a washington fan you should be i don't want to say happy with where things are right now given that organization i mean if you want to talk about impeaching somebody dan snyder is who should be impeached in washington dc i mean i think if you pulled redskins fans they would (laughs) 99% of them would support that yeah But if you watch Haskins, you see evidence of him growing even within a game. I mean, you look at his game against Green Bay and he had a sack, like you said, getting sacked a ton, but he had a sack early on a third and nine in the first quarter on a sticks-ish type concept where he's got two inside curls route, curls, And if he anticipates it better, he's going to throw one of these for the first down. I mean, the one to his right is wide open, but he gets sacked because he doesn't anticipate the throw. Later in the game, later in that half, I believe... He has a similar concept, but he gets the ball out on time, in rhythm, again under pressure. And you see him like starting to speed up just within the course of a single game. So you're seeing little moments like that. The other thing that I think is important to remember is not to bring up horrific images, but if you remember back to this previous draft cycle, when we assembled our like build a quarterback and put together that hideous image on the timeline, (laughs) one of the things we had was the like heart and guts of Dwayne Haskins and the competitive toughness that he shows – You know, the ability to like, you know, if you're down late like he was at Purdue or the near loss they had early last year against Penn State where he battled back in a game where I thought watching it live he was going to get pulled. Like he has that competitive toughness and you saw it. Last week in Green Bay, where he's under assault early, they're down early, but he's battling back and fighting through some adversity. And so he sort of checks that box as well, which probably makes him a good quarterback for this moment in Washington. And so does he have things he needs to to fix and get better at? Sure. He obviously needs to get faster. He obviously needs to get better with his eyes. You know, he obviously needs to, you know, fix some tiny mechanical flaws with the lower body that I think are impact and placement. But If you're a Washington fan, yeah, the season's been bad, but I don't think you hand it on him. He's got a nice relationship with Kelvin Harmon. He's got a nice relationship with Terry McLaren, obviously did, in fact, to Ohio State. And so I think you've got some pieces to build around this idea that maybe Washington drafts a quarterback early. No. Like, I I think Haskins is fine. He's going to get better. He's going through some trials and tribulations now, as all rookie quarterbacks do. Hmm.
1: Now, I have to ask about the deep ball, as I do every week, because it's it's the Eagles' ultimate weakness. I mean, we saw Eli Manning come out here throwing 55-yard touchdowns and, and a, a big gain. I think it was like for 42 or something like that because the Eagles busted coverage yet again. Dwayne Haskins right now in adjusted completion percentage for balls over 20 yards in the air is at 30%. That's 32 out of 35. That's in Josh Allen territory. That's in Mason Rudolph territory. That's Daniel Jones. It's Kyle Allen. Like it's it hasn't been good for him. What has the, the the downfield threat for Washington has obviously been Terry McLaurin, who had a career day against the Eagles. By the way, career day for Terry McLaurin in week one, career day for Devontae Parker, career day for Mike Kosicki in the Miami game, career day for Darius Slayton, who we warned you about on this show last week. Is it another career day for Terry McLaurin? Can Haskins stress them
2: enough to make that a reality? I'm hesitant to say that he can because, like you said, the numbers don't show that he's had success in the vertical passing game. You know, and the other thing to keep in mind is they've had some protection issues right now, you know, similar to what we were talking about with Philadelphia. And so the time to hit on those concepts isn't there as it might have been back in week one when Terry McLaurin had his breakout game as a rookie in his first NFL game. So, I don't think that's there. And they don't do a ton downfield right now. They'll have some isolated shot plays to McLaren but they're not hitting on him. Like they had sort of that kiddie corner route where he like circles inside, like that circle corner. He throws it into the double coverage, doesn't really have a chance to complete it. You know, they've got some things where they'll do pivot, dig posts, some Mills-ish type concepts where they want to potentially hit that post route, but they're not really scaring anybody with it right now. And with mcLaren being such a Big threat for them. They're using him on some more underneath stuff because he's their go-to guy right now. Right, and they know if they can't get the stuff downfield, they got to at least because of protection issues, they got to have their best guy in an area where they can find him from the quarterback spot. And so the downfield things don't scare me. That being said, of course, you know Haskins is going to go off with two touchdowns and three fifty something. You know, because we don't know what we're talking about.
1: A big part of Washington's success against the Eagles in Week One, when they built that early lead, was. Play action shots because the Eagles yeah. like to blitz those run looks and they flow hard and they bite hard. And the Eagles cornerbacks are really yeah. only capable of covering this spot in which they're standing at the beginning of the snap. Well, have the have the why Why is Washington kind of moved away? It's looked like from the numbers anyway, tells me it's kind of moved away from that play action passing game that you, you think they would use a lot of since. You know, with Jay Gruden out and whatnot, they want to be a run-the-ball team and everything like that. Like, those things, I know I know it's not synonymous. You don't need the running game to have a good play-action game, but a lot of coaches think it do. And I think, I think the Washington coaching staff would certainly think so, considering their dinosaur mentality.
2: Right. You would think they would. I think part of it is, though, a lot of those designs require – not elite, but very good processing speed from the quarterback, especially when you're talking about that traditional back to the defense yeah. type of play action design. And if you've got a rookie quarterback that's struggling to read defenses and process things quickly and get the ball out on time, yeah, the last thing you want to do is like constrict his time window to make decisions. And so, true, you know, they will do some some pa mesh type stuff where it looks like RPO. They would do some like play action flood concepts where he's under center, but you've got time as you roll it out to sort of read things. But the traditional like back to the defense shot plays that we saw Keenum were operated in, in week one, they're not really part of the playbook right now because they don't think that Haskins can truly run them.
1: How much do you advise that quarterbacks kind of take a page out of Aaron Rodgers' playbook? Because I've seen this before with him and I think like ball handling skills in those play action situations where you can keep your eyes down the field or at least on a half side of the field – like Rodgers at times will go for a play action, but he won't turn his back completely. He'll kind of alter the way that, that he's going to fake it or hand it off so he can keep his eyes down. Why, why don't more quarterbacks do
2: that? They should because remember, linebackers aren't watching the quarterback for their run pass keys. They're mm. watching linemen. They're seeing hats. They're seeing pull action. Right. So the idea that the quarterback has to carry out this boomer size and ask like ball fake <laughs> you're not selling the guys you need to sell you know and if you're like on a corner a cover 3 corner and you see the quarterback like start to hand off you're not really peering in to make sure he's actually doing it like you see the general handoff action you start to think run or pass same thing from the safety spots the eye angles and such are the way that they are that it doesn't matter if the fake is executed perfectly or not. So more quarterbacks should just you know, give it the hands and keep the eyes downfield or give a quick turn but then keep the eyes downfield as much as you can or as quickly as you can because they're not watching you. They're watching the linebackers, the guys that matter, the guys you want to fool, the linebackers in particular. They're watching guards and centers. They're seeing if the hats come up or not. And if the hats come up, if they can pass. If the hats are down, they're thinking run. They don't care what you're doing. You could be making a sandwich back there. It doesn't matter. They're reading somebody else. So – I know, and look, when I played, when I was coached, it was carry out the fakes, carry out the fakes. They don't matter. I'm telling you, kids, don't matter. But then again, just an idiot with a microphone, so maybe don't listen to me.
1: The Eagles had third and long, and the Giants ran a flea flicker, and the deepest of deepest safeties for the Eagles completely bit on it. Yeah. So, okay, you, you can beat the Eagles with play action. We know that they love the eye candy and all that stuff, but given who Dwayne Haskins is right now and his strengths... And what Washington likes to do as an offense. If Washington is going to have success against the Eagles, what do you think that looks like just from an overall perspective?
2: I think it almost looks similar to what we saw in the Eagles in the second half last week. Mm -hmm. You're going to see a lot of like shallow cross. They love shallow cross with a sit route, deep sit route over it. You know, you go back to his days at Ohio State, shallow cross, mess, drive. Like yeah. Those were some of his best concepts to execute. And so that's what you're going to see. You're going to see some drive concepts from shallow crossers. He loves throwing crossers. He's very good at identifying man and leverage underneath. And so that's where he's at his most comfortable. That's what it'll look like. You, you'll see a lot of like short, quick throws, getting the ball out of his hands, sort of speeding up his decision-making process because it's a quick read and so it speeds up his mind better. I think that's what it'll look like. If they start throwing deep, if they start pushing the ball downfield, I, I know the Eagles secondary is is has had its issues, we can say, but that almost plays to where you want to be, I think, as an Eagles fan because that's not where Daskins is at his best.
1: Yeah, and that, and that's a good point too with the shallow crosses and whatnot. I mean, we remember the Michigan game where he just ate him up with mesh literally yeah. all literally game. Just
2: mesh down the field, yep. down, down, down after down.
1: And the Eagles have had trouble with man coverage and getting communication in and picking up guys and getting rubbed when it comes to, you know, tight doubles and, and bunches and whatnot. And that's where a lot of those different, you know, you get drive and you get mashed and you get those different concepts towards the uh, the middle short areas of the field. So, yeah, I can definitely see that being the area in which Haskins would have success. Mark, anything else for me, the gentle listeners, the one or two Washington fans listening in right now? Maybe the NFL because they're they're tapping our communications because they know you're an integral part of the Patriots organization and are heavily invested in how this investigation goes. Anything else for anybody
2: else? Well, since he is listening, <laughs> Bill, yeah. when you came out the other day, whether it was on – I think it was on the Belichick and Saban promotion and yeah. said – That you were an economics major at Wesleyan. You didn't learn much there. It's not happening. Man, you're hurting the rest of us who are also, at least in part, economics majors at Wesleyan. Man, you're giving our school (laughs) a bad name. It hurts me, my friend. It
1: hurts me. It's such a ruse. It's such a ruse.
2: The guy has believed in analytics for far longer than many people. His entire life. Like (laughs) you look at his dad's book. Yeah. It's it's like analytics before we knew what the word meant.
1: I I read his dad's book and that's and and I reread it recently in the off season. I thought, this guy believed in like analytics before analytics were even like a a, a buzzword way decades before. Decades. He was he was charting games when he was twelve years old. Like that's ingrained in you. Yeah, I and don't this what idea it. that
2: when Belichick gets on the plane after a loss and says, guys, it's not space. We lost because we, we, we can't tackle. Yeah, why can't you tackle? Because the metrics tell you that they were running plays where you couldn't get into position. Like, believe me, this idea that, oh, my snap face and face chart or whatever. He knows everything. The guy's a mad genius. Of course he believes in analytics. He's trolling us all. He's trolling yeah. the world, man. Yeah. I personally love it. I
1: just yeah. It cracks me up. All right. Yeah. Mark, that is going to do it for the QB Sco show. If you liked the content that you heard today, we have a challenge for you. If you didn't hear the recap show with me and Ben, which you probably did looking at the numbers, but if you didn't, we are trying to get in the next couple of months here, more five-star reviews on Apple podcasts, where we're 1200 right now. We're trying to get more five-star reviews than the Eagles wide receivers have combined for receiving yards this year, which is a hell of a lot closer then you would (laughs) even you would think even with the production that the Eagles are getting from their wide receivers so make sure you give us five stars in Apple Podcasts. we thank you so much leave a funny review we'll read it on the show whatever the case may be and we'll catch you next week as we get to hopefully what is a super super important game with the Dallas Cowboys we'll be breaking down Wentz, Dak, all of that for you so with that because I don't have some sort of catchy end phrase for this show yet even after two years We're just going to kind of